Today's title is Hindered Hopes and Delayed Dreams. Hindered Hopes and Delayed Dreams. We're preaching out of Romans 15, 22 through 33. If you don't have a Bible or you need to turn on your Bible, um, go ahead and do that. Open your Bible, turn it on. But if you notice you don't have a device or a Bible with you, share it with somebody right beside you because we want to get into the text and want to read the text and hear the text. While you're finding Romans 15, let me uh, give you a little story, a little background. Paul, Paul's the author of Romans. At this point, now we don't have tons and tons of data on Paul. These are educated speculations, guesses, whatever. But you can figure right now as Paul is, is dictating this letter, Paul's probably in his early 50s. He may be 50, a little bit older. So we got a perhaps 50-year-old Jewish man from a Roman province in what today is now southern Turkey. Paul was a Roman citizen who received his higher education in Jerusalem. He's now in Corinth, which is modern-day Greece. And he's about to head to Jerusalem. So he's writing the church in Rome while he's sitting in Corinth, about to go to Jerusalem. But he's writing to the church in Rome, a church he hopes to visit one day, on his way to Spain. Now, he's planned a trip from Jerusalem to Rome, one that's going to probably be his most expensive to date, one that's probably going to be the longest trip he's ever taken as well, about 2,400, 2,500 miles. And one that, hence our title, this trip is going to hinder all of his hopes, and it's going to dangerously delay his dreams. But that's just another day in the life of Paul. Since his conversion, now a little more probably than 20 years ago, give or take, Paul has already crisscrossed the Mediterranean three different times. He's probably traveled over 10,000 miles. No frequent flyer or hotel points. He's traveling over land and sea throughout what we know as Asia Minor and Greece. Paul traveled a variety of ways. Sometimes he was alone. Many times with a team. He was on foot. He slept in inns, in homes. Not, not the holiday and not like what we're thinking. In homes or out on the open. He traveled along ancient routes and new roads. Roads that were improved or roads that were built by the Romans for their armies. Much like our interstate system. Do you know the width is so you could have a tank drive down it? Rome did the same thing. They built straight roads along protected roots with serious construction so they could quickly move their armies throughout the empire. He shared these roads with Roman soldiers, with Roman officials, with merchants and farmers, and don- reminds me of Cuba, Manolito, and donkeys and mules and heavy wagons drawn by oxen, different types of carts and carriages. But most people would have been walking. They'd have been on foot. Now, some were on mules or riding in carts or carriages. By the way, very few. We see a lot of paintings of Paul about in horseback on the road to Damascus. No, probably inaccurate. Stirrups, the thing you put your feet into, had not been invented yet. And, and saddles were very, very basic. So the only people really who rode on horseback was the Roman cavalry. Hardly anybody else did it because riding a horse was tiresome and very uncomfortable. Now, think of that's on land. What about 10,000 miles? Now, what about water? 
Well, water was worse. Though sometimes faster, many times not. Though sometimes faster, it was dangerous and it was very expensive. Pirates and unpredictable weather had you typically sailing within the side of the coastline. That's in the summer. Now, if it's winter, when storms and fogs affect your visibility, it slows you down. It grounds you. You can't see the coastal landmarks. And if you happen to venture into the open sea, which you needed to do, remember why Paul had shipwrecks? Spent a day and a night more than once on the open sea? Because on the open sea, you couldn't navigate by stars. None of their ships had that little white thing spinning. This was not a carnival cruise because... Person ships, people ships, cruise ships, anything to do with people, troop transports, they had not even been invented yet. The New Testament doesn't tell us much about Paul's shipboard accommodations, but it was far from a carnival cruise. These passenger ships weren't around. What happens is you went to a port and you tried to book a passage on a large or a small merchant ship or a coastal hopping or island hopping little boat, and you slept on the deck. That's how Paul made three missionary journeys, planting and strengthening churches. And now, in his early 50s probably, he's planning to go to Rome, a city of 1.2 million people back then. And there was this church that was established a little while before his own conversion. So they'd been Christians, and that church had been around about the same amount of time, just a little longer then Paul had been a Christian. So, you found the text yet? Great. Let's look at it all together. Let's look down into Romans now. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings." When therefore I've completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot, and there's, it, it seems like Al said, is the letter is winding down. What can we get from this? But Lord, we know it's your word and there's much to mine. So Lord, help me to preach and help me and everybody here to, to listen. Lord, to understand. And then to go and do or to be comforted by what you have to say to us today. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, we know you will. Amen.
Throughout the letter to the church in Rome, Paul has taken great pains to present the gospel. We've seen that again and again and again. This is a letter about the gospel. He is correcting, he's adjusting his critics, he's answering his enemies. He's applying the gospel at other times to the current problems that were were within their local church. And like we discovered last week, he's now outlined his past ministry endeavors in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Now he's going to turn to what he hopes is going to be his fourth missionary journey. This time in the western region of the empire, Spain. But he must first travel to Jerusalem the exact opposite way in order to get to Spain. To deliver financial aid for the poor before he visits Rome in order to enlist their aid for his next evangelistic adventure. As we unpack the text this morning, here's the three things I hope we're going to learn and apply to us. First, Paul and his churches was commission-driven. They were commission-driven. Number two, they were, he built compassionate communities. And last, they were a prayerful people. So they were mission-driven, those churches and Paul himself. They were compassionate communities, and they were a prayerful people. Let's look at point one, verses 22 through 24, mission-driven. Let's look down at our text again. I never tire of having you guys be bobbleheads. Look down at the text and then look up. Because looking down is the important stuff. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. For many years, for many, many years now, Paul has wanted to visit the church in Rome, but he was hindered. Now, the word in the original language Greek suggests that Paul understood that he was hindered by God. He was hindered because he'd been busy, busy planting and strengthening churches in unreached areas. There was always a new horizon especially in strategic cities in the Eastern Empire, ones that would serve as church planting bases. And we'd see outcroppings of the gospel go from that point forward. And he'd been hindered by providential problems, things he understood that were controlled and ordained by the hand of God, even at times through natural circumstances or through the evil of humanity. But he knew behind all of that, for God's glory, Paul's good, and because he was driven by the Great Commission, he knew these things would propel him to complete and to do God's will. Oh no, he understood imprisonments, major issues in four of his churches, delayed deliveries of this Jerusalem offering again and again because of church conflicts or threats by zealots. He had an aborted trip to mediate problems in Corinth. Remember how much it took and how long it took. You get on your way. Psych, never mind. And he had an unplanned trip looking for his co-worker, Titus. Paul understood what it was to have his dreams delayed. To have his plans hindered. But now this pioneering missionary work in the East was complete. And others will carry on the task of evangelism and discipleship. So he sets his sights on making disciples of Jesus by planting churches in the West beginning with Spain 
Oh, Spain. Spain then was a solid region of the Roman Empire. It provided the entire empire with significant amounts of food, and several important authors to the Roman Empire came from Spain. Actually, later on, a few emperors of the Roman Empire were from Spain. But Spain lacked any Jewish settlements. Paul is going to now, he's always gone to the synagogue or gone to the river and now pushed out for other things. Now Paul is going to go into an area for the first time. He's going to go somewhere where there's not any organized Jewish settlements. It's a region that was strategic and it was filled with pagan Gentiles. Remember, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's got his sights. He's ready to go because this place was ripe for the gospel. But before heading off to the far west, he wanted to travel to the near west, the capital, Rome. Paul desired to encourage and be encouraged by the believers there, and he hoped that they would provide a base for his mission into Spain, his fourth missionary journey. And they would do that by providing prayer, finances, and people. Resources for the gospel mission. So Paul and the churches that he was heading to, the churches he had been from, the churches he had planted, they were driven by the Great Commission. But they weren't just driven by evangelism and discipleship. They were also a a group of compassionate communities. Let's look down at our text, verse 25. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I've completed this, And have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. That's a mouthful and can be a head-scratcher, huh? Let's unpack that a little bit. A famine had happened in Palestine about ten years before Paul is writing this letter, or actually dictating this letter. Paul had been asked, we find this in Galatians, Paul had been asked by the leaders of the Jerusalem church to assist the Jewish Christians who were still suffering from the financial fallout 10 years from behind. Massive famine over the area. And there were Christians in Jerusalem that had means, but there were more poor people than middle and wealthy people, and they did not have the ability to sustain this financial fallout that was still in Jerusalem. So the leader said, hey, Paul, can you remember the poor, which Paul said he was happy to do. And he went back to his churches and received a collection. Paul is now about to take it there. He'd responded to their appeal. And he and some others are about to take the offering that had been collected. Now, the offering was only collected from basically Greece, what we consider today Macedonian, northern Greece, modern-day Greece, and southern Greece. These were compassionate communities produced by the gospel because they cared for the needs of believers they had never, ever met. Paul said there's a need. God has given us his rich bounty. Let us share with them ours. And they were motivated by the gospel for a 10-year-old issue that took years for him to collect. And now he's going to go. 
It's interesting to note some of the concepts behind the words we read in English in these verses. Financial help, he lists this as an aid or synonyms. Aid, a ministry, a service. You know where we get the word deacon? It's that kind of stuff. They're serving. It's a ministry. Giving finances to the poor. In other places in the New Testament, Paul calls this same um, offering a fellowship, a participation, where we get the word koinonia in English. We've robbed that word from the Greek. So we are participating. It's a symbol of solidarity and partnership in the gospel. That's tough for us sometimes to connect money and gospel, isn't it? I mean, how does, how does giving, we get the ministry, how do we get the partnership? Well, we'll get to that in a sec. Paul also said they gave with delight, with pleasure, with gladness. You're giving with delight. and pl- These are Greeks given to over in Palestine to one city to a bunch of folks that have been poor for a decade. They're delighting in it. Why? Because they're realizing their spiritual debt of love. They enjoyed spiritual blessings through the people of God. Remember, this is in the, in the last part of a long letter where he's been talking about why are the Jews and Gentiles in the local churches apart. And he's talking about God has blessed. Gentiles, wake up. You who think you're strong. You who think you're, wake up. You have a debt of love to the Jews that are in your midst. And the churches in Greece got that. They weren't under obligation. Actually, they were just fulfilling a debt of love. God has sent a Jew to us. Jesus, a Jew. All of this has come through the lineage and the line, the ethnicity of Abraham. And we're so grateful that he has included us, the nations, in his people. The new Israel, a new humanity with the new Adam, better than Moses, better than Elijah, more a king than David. So you know what? We love these folks, and we want to give back to them. They were happy to share their material blessings with them in their time of intense need. And after Jerusalem, he's going to head to Rome with what he calls the fullness of, of the blessing of Christ. That harkens back to chapter 1, verse 11. He's ready to share with them spiritual blessing and edification. And he's going to do that mutually. And they, it's, it's interesting. He's like, I'm going to be so full with the fullness of Christ. I can't wait to get to you and out of this fullness because I've just delivered this thing and hopefully it's been accepted and hopefully I'm going to be alive. Pray for me. And oh, when I get back to you, Wow! Oh, when I hit Rome, 80 gazillion miles later, when I hit Rome, I'm still going to be filled with the fullness of Christ. I'm going to have joy, mission accomplished. I'm done with the East. We've blessed the saints. We've seen this reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. And here we go into Spain where there's hardly any Jews. Now to the western horizon. I can't wait. And when I get there, I wanted to spend time with you all. And I want to encourage you. And I want to have you encourage me. That's what he's trying to say in all of that. But he's got, he's got some prayers he needs answered. Paul was like us. There were times he was nervous. There were times he was scared to death. He's got some prayers he wants. You know, it's interesting. Um, he asked the Greek churches for financial help. When he went to Rome, for Jerusalem. When he went to Rome, 
He didn't ask any of those churches. He didn't ask the churches in Turkey for financial help for Jerusalem. It wasn't like this is a once and for all, all of us are always supposed to do the same thing. No, there was a specific need. And Paul used that need. And he he applied the gospel to it. And he wanted to see something accomplished right then that would speak to the Jews and Gentiles of that era. And money talks. Follow the money. So he said, hey, I need you to pray for me. They were a prayerful people. He even knew the Romans would too. Look at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem might be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. It's interesting, Paul asks for their prayers and he actually expects them to pray for him and he actually expects God to answer their joint petition. Since they have the same Lord and the same spirit-motivated love, he appeals for them to strive in prayer. Synonym for strive. Was prayer easy for you this week as you crawled out of bed? Have you ever had somebody say, please pray for me, and like me, you've forgotten? Well, this one, he's actually telling them, strive, struggle, wrestle, use discipline and energy. They, he has a task, a Herculean, monumental task ahead. Would they please join with him together in prayer? Strive partner. And then he he lists two prayer requests. Both of them concern his upcoming Jerusalem trip. First request. Guys, please pray that God would deliver me from the unbelieving Jews who are opposing me. And if anybody understood that type of opposition, it was Saul, who's now known as Paul. See, before his conversion, a, a, a guy of that era had two names. It wasn't like he changed his name. He was a Jew who was a Roman citizen. So he was Saul in this community and Paul in this community. Same, same. But Paul used to be Saul, the Pharisee, on the road to Damascus, persecuting Jewish Christians in Palestine. Paul has experienced persecution by the Jews in a variety of cities as he's gone to preach the gospel. Paul knows what it is to be a persecutor He knows what it is to be persecuted. And he knows that he's a target. And when he gets to Jerusalem, there are folks there that would love, just love to do what he used to do. Now, not the Christians, not do what he used to do to them. No, no. They're his old buddies that now he's a turncoat. And then within the church as well, Christians, Jewish Christians, they were slightly legalistic. And they had been listening to rumors and slanders and actually some truths that Paul was saying, hey, there are some things you no longer need to do, the Gentiles. And they'd had this big conference in Acts 15 about that. And Paul goes back and there are still Christians going, well, Paul Paul teaches the following things and Paul had to actually answer those things in the book of Romans. That's what we've been going through. So he's, he's got folks that are out to get him. His life is in danger. And then he's not sure how all the Christians in Jerusalem, you know, the ones he's bringing money to, 
if they will actually even receive it from someone like Paul and all of these Gentiles who now say that they are part of the people of God but don't have to keep the law. So he says, please pray for my safety. And number two, please pray that they would accept this offering. Now, why would Paul do all that? Why would he take this time-consuming, expensive, Herculean task, risking his own life in hopes that a single offering would be accepted by Jewish believers in Jerusalem? Why not just go right from Greece and hop over to Italy, to Rome? Well, there are probably many reasons. Now, again, this is speculation, but there are probably many reasons. One was to prove the solidarity of the new people of God. The walls of division and separation were gone in Christ. There's no longer Jew and Gentile and male and female. No, no, no. We are one, that new humanity. And Jesus is our head. He probably wanted to show that the promises made to Abraham about blessing the nations were being fulfilled. And here comes the Greeks, just like in the Gospels, one of the first times we see a pagan saying something about Christ, we're the Greeks. Here comes the Greeks with all of this money. It also fulfilled prophecies that Gentiles would bring their wealth into Jerusalem. But mainly it said that the Gentiles were legit members of the family of God, apart from circumcision apart from the ceremonial law, apart from all of that. No, no. It also said that, hey, they have, in their faith in Christ, it has fulfilled. Remember, these are old concepts we've been going over in Romans. It has fulfilled the law of Moses, the righteousness of law, especially the Mosaic laws that concern the practical love for neighbor. These have been fulfilled in the gospel without ceremony, without circumcision. These Gentiles are fulfilling the ramifications, the gratitude the gospel has brought. They're now doing the moral law without having to do all the other things. And then, as we found later in Romans, Paul was hoping that somehow he could provoke his kinsmen after the flesh to jealousy and result in their salvation. So if these prayers are answered, he'll join with them in joy. Mission accomplished in Jerusalem and in the east, if he's still alive, he'll get to continue the gospel commission in the west. Listen, I know that gets confusing. Let's slow down just a bit. I take an offering to you. I give it to you. If you think I'm not legit and I'm a pretender and I'm leading people into apostasy, you're not going to receive it from me. I go to Jerusalem with an offering. There's some people there, as did indeed happen, who attempted to kill Paul. Started a small riot. There was an assassination plot. He was in prison for two years for his own protection because he got lost in the shuffle. He has to appeal to go to Rome, to the emperor, so he's not killed by Jews who want to kill him. They were folks like he was on the road to Damascus. He loves them. But his goal is to go to the church. They've asked him to take up an offering. He knows that there's been slanderous reports and and miscommunications about the gospel he presents. That's why he had to correct it all in Romans. So he's going there with an offering in person and with all these folks from these Gentile churches that had given. And he goes, listen, listen, I know you're concerned that, that we don't keep what you think we should keep, some of you the ceremonial law and stuff like that. But listen, the real stuff of the law, the stuff that the gospel produces in our hearts from the inside out, please see this as tangible evidence 
we're the same people of God. And we love you. Oh, we're not buying it off. These are alms, which is important in Judaism. These are expressions. We're doing this with pleasure and with joy. And we recognize, golly, the gospel came to you, to to us through you. And we just like to give back. Not to pay you back, but an expression of our love for you and our solidarity and our ministry and our fellowship. Please, please, would you accept this from us? And here's the Christian Jewish leaders and the people, and they go. Some are going, don't accept it. They're going, brothers, they're legit. Look what God has done. They're in the family too. Listen, they're appealing to us for solidarity, even though some of our traditions, and we may agree to disagree about different doctrinal things. But they're Christians, and we need to receive this from them. We need it, but that's not the real reason. We need to receive this to show the world, ourselves, the angels, God, hidden beings that we don't even see, that we accept them and they accept us. And in Christ, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile. We'll be happy to take that. And Paul's saying, please pray that that happens. Oh yeah, pray don't get killed, but pray. And that's how important it was. He knew he could die. Please pray. We'll get this thing done. It'll be awesome. And we'll prove that the dividing wall that I've written about in Ephesians has broken down. We'll prove again and again that our union in Christ is what really matters, not our ethnicity. We'll prove that righteousness comes through faith, not by observing the law. But it also doesn't mean you stop doing holiness and you stop doing help. It's a compassionate people that's been made compassionate because of the gospel. It's changed these pagans from the inside out. Pagans and Jews hated each other. Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. And they had nothing to do with each other. And for Gentiles to come all the way from Greece by roads and ships and say, here, thank you. And Jews who were planting the flag and protecting the law to say, you're welcome and thank you, brother. Oh, that's why Paul says, I'll come with the fullness of Christ. And I'll come with great joy. And I can hardly wait to get to Rome. It'll be wonderful. And I want to hang with you and be encouraged. And by the way, just pray for that. You don't have to give. Other people have already given. I'll be asking you to give as we head towards Spain. It's interesting. He finally, he's asked them to pray for him. And he ends this with praying for them. He prays that God, the source and provider of peace, would grant them peace in their local church. He's talking about this offering because he's explaining, hey, I really want to come, but I've got a long trip that's going to take a while. But he's also, he's multitasking. He's got something else in mind. Hey, guys, I've been writing you now for 14 chapters. The scroll's pretty long now. And we've been talking about Jews and Gentiles in this church and how they don't get along over matters of the law, over matters of, over matters of, over this, over that. Listen, I want you to pray for me that we'll get this taken care of in Jerusalem. And now I'm going to pray for you that God will take care of this same issue here in Rome. How can the two parties, Jew and Gentile Christian, 
how can they join together praying for their friend Paul when they finally realize that he's praying for them and what they're praying for is that the Jews in Jerusalem will stop doing what they're doing right now. God's economy is always very efficient. He's multitasking. And they're going to get the point. And Paul's going to get there eventually. What's our takeaway? Well, I'm not much on New Year's resolutions personally. Never been a New Year's resolution guy. But if I had a New Year's resolution for Palm Vista, it's these three things. Um, Let's resolve to be mission-driven. Making disciples, beginning with evangelism, but not stopping at conversion. The gospel has implications. It does something to us, and that something it does to us causes us to want the same for others. Let's be not just mission-driven. Let's be commission-driven. It's an outlined mission we have. We don't have to dream it up. Our words and our mission and our commission is from the resurrected Christ. Let's be commissioned. Something has happened in you and in me if you're a believer. Now, let's purpose and let's ask God for help. Oh, join your pastors in praying. That what's been done to us, we'll want to share through evangelism and through discipleship. That with others. Oh, let's be, number two, a compassionate community. Yes, compassion to the world. We should do that. But especially to what the Bible calls the household of faith, the church. I can't love my neighbor who's a pagan. It's tough for me to love them like I should if I can't love you. Because you know what? I can love Christians in China. I can love my neighbor next door. But you get on my nerves. If we start here, we'll do it on autopilot other places. We've got we've to give up our time, our talent, and our treasure because we're storing all that up in heaven. We've got an eternity to get, to get caught up. And we're sending our treasures on up ahead. Let's be a compassionate community. And finally, let's be a prayerful people. Paul was humble and real enough to ask for prayer. That's amazing. This is Paul. And he's scared. He's concerned. He knows he could die, but it didn't stop him. So instead of saying, I quit, or instead of saying, I can't, he said, can you pray that God would empower me to do what he's called me to do? He was just praying, would you pray for me that I'd be faithful? And can we pray according to God's will and let's go do it? And he expected that they would. And here's the one that's tough for me. He actually expected God would answer. You ever prayed for stuff you just really knew? Nah. He expected. And he lived in a world of our title. Hindered hopes. Delayed dreams. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. 
I've worked much harder. I've been in prison. Paul got it. I've been in prison more often. I've suffered terrible beatings. Again and again, I almost died. Five times the Jews gave me 39 strokes with a whip. Three times I was beaten with sticks. Once they tried to kill me by throwing stones at me. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have had to keep on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. I've been in danger from robbers. I've been in danger from my fellow Jews. In danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city, in the country, and at sea. I I have been in danger from people who pretended they were believers. I've worked very hard. Often I've gone without sleep. I've been hungry and thirsty. Often I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. But besides everything else, every day I'm concerned about all the churches. Paul understood the good and providential plan of his gracious and loving God. These things Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And now he's saying, I'm going to Jerusalem maybe to die. And by the way, if God lets me live, I'm heading to Rome. Paul's arrival, one scholar writes, in Jerusalem was, though they were leery of him and the slanderous and true reports that had circulated about him, Paul's arrival in Jerusalem, Acts suggests, his offering was accepted, but was followed quickly by a small riot and arrest and assassination plot and a two-year imprisonment. Thereafter, God answered his prayer, go to Rome. Thereafter, he was shipped to Rome, but on an appeal to the imperial court of Nero. He goes to Rome in chains under house arrest. Talk about hindered and delayed. But while he was in Rome, it looks like he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. It's tough from here to say that, that to reconstruct what happened, but assuming Paul, and it seems like he was, he was released from prison, he may have managed that fourth journey, perhaps as far west as Spain, and then back into the Greek area. One or more of the pastoral epistles might date from this fourth period. 2 Timothy concludes with Paul once more in chains. Oh, Paul's prayer was answered twice. He got to Rome, and then he got to Rome again and was probably beheaded in 67 under Nero. What's our takeaway? Well, sometimes it's through tear-stained eyes and gritted teeth we serve the Lord with gladness and joy, isn't it? If you don't find yourself there today at the beginning of this new year, you know someone who does. And it's waiting for you too. But we're weak, but we're strong in him. We're knocked down, but we're never knocked out. We have a faith in him that seeks understanding and a faith that's legit and legal to cry, I believe, help my unbelief. We do that fixing our gaze on the joy that awaits us, a city whose builder and maker is God, where one day we will face him. If we're Christians, if we've repented and believed and we're followers of Jesus Christ, one day through all your delayed dreams, your hindered hopes, death of a vision, everything turns out wrong, nothing's right, all your friends die, your parents have cancer, you've got cancer, your job now stinks, you can't pay off this, your retirement's gone, all your friends you used to do church with are now divorced and not walking with the Lord. What do we do? 
I still sin the way I sinned 15 years ago. And I like it. And I hate it. What do we do with all of that? Well, one day, we'll be in heaven. And all that will have been forgiven because of Calvary. Today, we want to build this way, commission-driven, compassionate communities and a prayerful people. We want to do that in order to please Him. We want to represent God rightly in South Florida. We want to reflect His love and His holiness to a pagan culture. We're much more like Rome than a lot of places, even in the United States. His plan even in spite of our hindered hopes, our delayed and dashed dreams. His plan will still prevail. And, as Paul testified to the very end of his life, God is good and God is faithful. We live a life of tribulation. We've been promised that. People we trust in will let us down and we will have regrets and let others down. But it's God we serve. And we serve for His glory and for the fame of His name. And He gets it done in spite of us. But He's faithful. And you've got a reward in heaven waiting for you. The first Peter says, won't fade and is imperishable. And it's kept by God Himself. That's the joy set before us. We'll be with Him. So whether your life's good or it sucks, let's bless the Lord because he's good and because he's faithful. And he's going to use us because he wants to reward us. He doesn't need us. He loves us and wants to use us. Let's keep pressing forward, shall we? Amen. Let's pray. And we need your provision, we need your mercy, and we need a fresh touch from you. Father, fill us fresh this morning, right now, with your spirit. Lord, if we have downcast souls, let us lift our eyes to you. If our hearts are hurting, let us cast our cares on you, for you care for us. And Lord, if we're in a good spot, Lord, let us pray for others who are not. And let us serve the risen Savior, being commission-driven, a compassionate people who love to pray. In Jesus' name we pray.